Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Midweek Podcast of I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. As promised, we're going to dive into some of your questions immediately. Alyssa writes, hello. I see that you had an episode discussing Eric Metaxas' new book, A Letter to the American Church. But I'm wondering, did you read the entire book? I'm hoping Frank reads this himself. Well, I'm reading it, Alyssa, and here's what you say. I am on the book launch team, so I got early access to read it. The one problematic part in the book was that it kind of ruined a lot of it for me. Overall, the big picture message does not. I guess the big picture, I don't know what she's saying there. The big picture was good, but she didn't like this one part. Here's what she says. The place where he mentioned how upset Chuck Colson was with some refusing to sign the Manhattan Declaration. And for those of you that don't know, the Manhattan Declaration was something that Chuck Colson put together. It had to be around like... I want to say 2008, 2009, maybe 2010, um, a while ago, 15 or so years ago. And it was basically saying that the church will stand firm on the sexual issues, including homosexuality. Transgenderism was not a big issue at that point. Anyway, she says Chuck Colson was upset with some for refusing to sign the Manhattan Declaration, yet then did not go into why these people refused. They are named specifically Alistair Begg, John MacArthur and John Piper. And then she says, I researched more and found out you, Frank, also refused to sign the Manhattan Declaration. I found the specific reasons why these three and others did not, and even some statements on their decisions. And she goes on and on and on. She's all upset. Thanks for reading. <sighs> Alyssa, you've got the wrong Frank Turek. Okay, the guy that didn't sign was Frank Turk, T-U-R-K. I'm Frank Turek, T-U-R-E-K. And nobody knew who I was when this thing came out. I was never asked to sign, okay? If I was, I would have. But I was never, I didn't even know what was going on, all right? This ministry became more known years after the Manhattan Declaration came out. So make sure that when... You accuse somebody of doing something wrong. If, in fact, you thought I did something wrong, make sure you have the right person, okay? There was a guy by the name of Frank Turk. I don't know where he is now, but he was a blogger somewhere out there. I don't think he's actually blogging anymore. He was a Christian, and he refused to sign it. Um, it wasn't me. Now, you write in, and this gives me an opportunity to talk about an article I read recently by Ellie Purnell over there at The Federalist. And she writes an article that says, Welcome to the Culture War, Tim Keller. Uh, now, Tim Keller is probably my favorite preacher. I love Tim Keller. I think so many of his insights into the scriptures are just spot on. I'm not a five-point Calvinist like him, but I rarely even see Calvinism coming into his preaching. He is uh, very good for the skeptical mind. He really gets in and understands the psychology of idolatry and the, the psychology we have to sin. Uh, and he, he, in my view, does a great job with the scripture. But I think he's off base on the culture. 
In fact, not long ago, he actually tweeted this, and this is what this Ellie Purnell lady says. She says, uh, uh, last April, Keller made this argument in a long Twitter thread that included this point. And here is the, here's what Keller said. I know abortion is a sin, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end. The current political parties will say that their policy most aligns morally with the Bible, but we are not allowed to debate that, and so our churches should not have disunity. Oh, hang on. I got to read this right. He says, the current political parties will say their policy most aligns morally with the Bible, but we are allowed to debate that. And so our churches should not have disunity over debatable political differences, exclamation point. Now, here's what Ellie says. That might have been a sound point during the Clinton administration when you could agree on minimizing abortion and still disagree over whether the best avenue was banning it or making it, quote, safe, legal, and rare. In fact, Clinton used to say that all the time. I want abortion to be safe, legal, and rare. He kept saying that, right? But today, Ellie says, one of the two parties has, pro- has proudly adopted a stance that encourages women to, quote, shout your abortion, unquote. No longer in the shameful corners of the party, but in the mainstream, Last year, 219 out of 220 House Democrats voted for a radical bill that would effectively legalize abortion on demand throughout all nine months of pregnancy, wiping out state protections for the unborn. No serious person is arguing that such a stance aligns with the Bible. Exactly. And why she's saying this is because maybe Tim Keller is starting to realize that his idea that, oh, the parties don't fit either uh, either of, uh, or let me put it another way, uh, that Christians could find good in each of these parties, and you really can't say that one party is closer to Christianity than the other. When you see one party who who wants... <laughs> who wants to not only shout your abortion, they want the government to pay for it. In fact, there's an article that was on the Christian News yesterday or the day before that Biden wants to put some sort of emergency declaration in place so people can get, in, can get abortions in states that ban it. This is not keeping abortion safe, legal, and rare. This the, the, the two parties are so far apart on this issue, and they're so far apart on mutilating children as well. And they're so far apart on using race to divide people. These parties, their platforms are diametrically opposed. And I say that as no fan of the Republican Party, by the way. I'm just telling you the truth. Okay? You can't, in my view, say that, oh, yeah, it's... you're. you're you can just vote for anybody. It's, it's no big deal. The parties are about the same. They're not. Anyway, here's what Ellie goes on to say. The political left has become the party of celebrating abortion on demand until birth, of chopping off breasts and genitals of confused, manipulated children and ripping them from their objecting parents' custody, of inflaming hatred based on the 
solely on the color of a person's skin, of obliterating the nuclear family, and of inundating school children with pornographic books and the performances of cross-dressing male strippers. America's leftist factions have used the highest office of law enforcement to terrorize a pro-life pastor, shuttered church gatherings, and continue to demand that Christians proclaiming simple truths like God designed for marriage be excommunicated from their jobs in public discourse. Amen. That's exactly what's going on, Ellie. And so for Tim Keller or any other pastor to say there's not a dime's bit of difference between the two parties on these issues, you've got your head in the sand. Now, I think, thankfully, Dr. Keller, who I pray for every day, by the way, because he has pancreatic cancer, and as I say, he's a wonderful pastor on the scriptures. She thinks, hopefully, Tim Keller's coming around. And that's what this article that you can read on the Federalist uh website says welcome to the culture war tim keller uh you may want to check that out all right let me go to another question and uh you remember eric who wrote in a couple of weeks ago and he, he said his wife called me a heretic because i didn't i didn't apply uh, i didn't apply jeremiah 29 11 uh to american christians well eric has written back because i as i mentioned on the podcast said that I think, first of all, you might not understand what a heretic is, but secondly, no, the promise to the exiles who went to Egypt is not a promise to 21st century Christians, no more than the promise of the exiles. I'm sorry, I said it backwards. The promise that the exiles who went to Babylon, the promise of prosperity, oh, the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a future, 70 years from now, by the way, that promise does not apply to 21st century Christians any more than the promise that went to the exiles that went to Egypt in Jeremiah 44:11 applies to people today. And that promise was, I will destroy you and all Judah. Anyway, Eric writes this. I'm going to try and keep this short. I didn't listen to your podcast titled by the same subject until Monday while on my way to work. I think you have taken this whole thing wrong. You don't like it when people claim Old Testament Bible verses because they weren't written to us. That is true, that they, were, they weren't written to us, but they were written for us. That's the point I made. Okay, that's good, Eric. And then you say, or Eric says, we can claim them. <laughs> he still wants to claim them. Because God gave them to us for our instruction. You say that the New Testament is written to the Christian. Romans 8.28 is a condensed version of Jeremiah 28.29.11. The Jews who were taken into exile were believing Jews, those who followed the Lord with all their heart. You say that if we claim Jeremiah 29.11, then we need to claim the other verses, which is a curse, like Jeremiah 44.11. If we are... If we are turning away from what the Lord has told us to do, then yes, we will reap the consequences of that disobedience as well. Okay, here's my response. I'm not ignoring the Old Testament. Oh, he goes on to say, you may choose to ignore the Old Testament, but I do not. I will claim the Old Testament promises and be aware of its curses too. Eric, I'm not ignoring those curses. I'm putting them into context. Look, if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about God judging Israelites or judging the Israelites uh, because of their disobedience. He writes that some of them were killed, some of them were judged in other ways, because they were disobedient to God. Here, here, here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think, and, and by the way, stand by, ladies and gentlemen, when I first became a Christian, I had to memorize this verse. And I didn't 
know the context because they didn't tell us to memorize the context, just the verse. But you're about to hear something that if you're a Christian who memorized verses, you probably memorized this one. But listen to the context. Where I'm about to get into it. In fact, I'm going to go back a verse and read the whole thing again. You'll, you'll, you'll hear the verse that you probably memorized if you're a Christian. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That passage or that verse, verse 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. That's what I memorized when I first took Growing in Christ way back whenever that was, 35 years ago, okay? But the context of that passage is the temptations that seized the Old Testament believers are common to man. And the what you see in the Old Testament about Old Testament heroes succumbing to adultery or succumbing to murder or succumbing to lying or all these evil things that they did, that's common to man. So don't let that temptation seize you. And God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. In any event, going back to what Eric had said, according to Paul, Old Testament stories about disobedience, according to this passage here, serve as examples and warnings to us. Don't do as they do. Don't let temptation overtake you, or you will be punished too. But this does not mean that every exact promise or curse in the Old Testament will come to true believers... Or, 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 sorry, <laughs> let me start over. But this doesn't mean that every exact promise or curse in the Old Testament will come true in the lives of New Testament believers. The specific promise for prosperity and return to the land in 70 years was a promise to exiles who went to Babylon. It is not a promise to believers today. The same thing is true with Jeremiah 44.11. You're not going to be judged if you go to Egypt today. Don't quote Jeremiah 44, 11. It says anyone that goes to Egypt is going to be, it's going to be judged because it just applied to those people at that time. They disobeyed God. Yes, disobedience may lead to judgment. And obedience may lead to prosperity, but they're not guaranteed. Not in this life anyway. This is why Malachi 3 doesn't apply to us either. The passage about Bring your, bring your, I don't have it in front of me, but bring your tithes to the temple and your, your barns will be uh, overflowing. That was an Old Testament promise in the Old Covenant. People, if they think that applies to them, is a promise to them, they may do that and not have their barns overflowing. And then what do they tend to think? Oh, the Bible's false. I did exactly what it said. How come my barns aren't overflowing? Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe that's not why I'm healthy and wealthy. Don't mix your covenants. You're not, gonna, you're not guaranteed prosperity if you obey God in this life. You're not even guaranteed you're going to get judged in this life if you disobey God. You may get, your, your comeuppance may come in the afterlife. So, you can't claim those verses specifically. You can claim them in the sense of saying, oh, well, uh, look, uh, God in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, judged disobedience and he rewarded obedience. Okay, now, that may, that may happen to us now, but it might not too. 
don't mix your covenants. Look, Andy Stanley rightfully got into trouble when he said we ought to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament. What he should have said, we have to unhitch ourselves from the Old Covenant. And that's really what he was trying to say. Don't unhitch yourselves from the Old Testament. There's a lot in the Old Testament that's still applicable to us today. I mean, read the book of Proverbs, for example. Read all the history in there. That's informative to us. And Paul even says that in 1 Corinthians 10. But the exact promise he gave the exiles that went to Babylon is not the exact promise given to you. It's a different context. It's a different covenant. And the same thing is true for the people that went to Egypt. Don't mix your covenants. Don't unhitch yourselves from the Old Testament. Unhitch yourselves from the Old Covenant because the Old Covenant is not for you. It was just for Israel. And the sooner we realize that, then the less confused we're going to be and the less stumbling blocks we're going to put in the way of unbelievers or even casual believers who think, well, if I just do X, Y, and Z, God is going to give me A, B, and C. That's not the way it works in the New Covenant. All right, let's see. Uh, Jack writes in, I just had a friend who is German. He lives in Switzerland, and we only had a short time to talk about God, but he said, in Europe, faith has gone dramatically down due to the abuses and molestations by Catholic priests. That's terrible. But why is that wrong, he writes. Yeah, without God, that wouldn't be wrong, is what he's trying to say. I used frank arguments about not blaming Beethoven for playing his music badly, actually, It comes from John Dixon, who says, when somebody plays Beethoven poorly, who do you blame? You don't blame Beethoven. So when someone plays Jesus poorly, you don't blame Jesus. That's the point he's making here. I also explained how we have to have free will to choose good and evil, because without it, there would be no love and no moral choices. He also said uh, how a friend of his uh, said it's a joke said a joke to a Christian that there are 3,000 gods in the world and he just believed one less than the Christian, seemed to resonate with him. Uh, you know, how do I deal with this person, he basically says. Well, he says, here's what I've tried so far. Atheists also worship their gods, humanism, scientism, relativism, hedonism, and probably a bunch of others. And he said the combined murders of evil atheists like Pol Pot, Hitler, Stalin, Mao, far outweigh the Catholic Church. Uh, why does that not make atheists walk away from atheism? Uh, if you, even if you throw Hitler out of there, Hitler... I don't know if he claimed to be an atheist. Um, He probably used Christianity to advance his Nazism in the sense that you ought to just obey what the government says, Romans 13. Um, But he was no Christian, obviously. He wasn't following a Jew. So even if you throw Hitler out of there, Stalin was an atheist, Mao was an atheist, Pol Pot an atheist, and they killed millions of people. So why don't atheists walk away from atheism? So Jack tries this on his friend. So how would you try? Well, what I would say... Uh, I would ask him the question, as I always do, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Remember, if the person hesitates or says no, the problem is not an intellectual problem, it's a moral problem. They don't want it to be true. They want to go their own way. Okay, they're not on a truth quest or on a happiness quest. But if he's truly open, I might ask him, does the behavior of people who believe a worldview necessarily prove or disprove a worldview? No. I mean, there are good atheists and bad Christians and vice versa. That doesn't prove or disprove whether atheism or Christianity is true. What you have to do is look at the evidence and see which is true. And you might ask your friend, well, as you pointed out, I guess, what's wrong with Catholic priests doing what they've been doing if there is no God? Everything would just be a matter of opinion anyway. 
So you may want to bring these things up. And we cover this at, at, le at length in the book Stealing from God, Jack. You may want to get the book Stealing from God because we point out um, so much about this question of morality and the question of evil. These are things atheists steal from God while arguing against him. They try and say, well, Christians are immoral, so there can't be a good God, or people have done immoral things, so there can't be a good God, or there's too much evil in the world, so there can't be a good God. Well, none of those things would even make any sense unless there was a good God, because there's no standard by which to judge any of these things. By the way, the just, just for the record, this doesn't prove or disprove Christianity or anything else, but I think there's a misunderstanding of uh, evil done in the name of of God and Christianity. According to the Encyclopedia of War, what percentage of wars are caused by religion? According to the Encyclopedia of War, 7% are caused by religion. If you take Islam out, it's only 3%. I mean, <laughs> let's just think about the past century. World War I, caused by religion? No. World War II, caused by religion? No. Korean War, caused by religion? No. Vietnam War, caused by religion? No. Gulf War, caused by religion? No. Okay, so just in our own experience, we go, wait a minute. Now, again, this doesn't prove Christianity or disprove atheism or any of this, but it does tend to puncture the myth that, all re that, that religion causes all the problems. To, to quote Christopher Hitchens, you know, religion poisons everything. No, the truth is everything poisons religion, Christopher. That's the problem. It would be a genetic fallacy to say that because religious people have done evil things, Christianity's false. In fact, I said um, in my debate with Christopher Hitchens, I said, Christopher, a lot of what you say in your book, Religion Poisons Everything, or your book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, a lot of what you say about what religious people have done, you're right about. They have done evil, but you have no way of justifying that whatever they did is evil because you have no standard of good. And I said to him, I can't live up to what Jesus told me to live up to. But if I could, I wouldn't need him. I wouldn't need a savior if I was perfect. You ought to expect religious people to be flawed, just like everybody else. We're just, we just have somebody covering our sins. And hopefully, if we yield to the Holy Spirit, we are becoming more like Jesus, even though we never quite get there here in this life, because we still have a sin nature. So I said to him, Christopher, I'm a hypocrite. I can't live up to what Jesus said and did. But if I could live up to him, and what, if I couldn't live up to what he said he did, if I could do that, I wouldn't need him. So when people say I can't go to church because there's too many hypocrites down there, I always say, come on down, pal. We got room for one more. The church is a hospital for sinners. It's not a country club for saints. We're all fallen. We all need a savior. So, Jack, don't forget to ask him the question, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Or if Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God, would you follow him? And then see how he responds to that. And then point out that he's got no standard to judge any of this stuff. And why don't you join the Christian faith? Because, number one, it's true. And then, number two, you can fight evil. Because that's ultimately... You know what, you know what, you know what God ultimately does to evil? He doesn't take away people's free choice. He just confines their free choice to hell. He quarantines evil. And I always ask people... In fact, Greg Kokel has said this. This is... Borrowing this from Greg, he said, he asked people, if you were, or if God were to stop evil at midnight tonight, would you still be, still be alive at 1201? The answer is no, I wouldn't be, neither would you. 
Because if he has to stop evil cold, he's got to quarantine us. He's got to kill us or put us in hell or take away our free will. What he ultimately does is he doesn't take away our free will. He confirms our free will. He just quarantines us so we can't use our free will to affect others. All right, friends, I'll have some more questions, hopefully, in future shows. If you want to provide a question, and I, I try and get to as many as I can. I can't get to them all. Just type a question to hello at crossexamined.org. Hello at crossexamined.org. And keep an eye on the calendar. I'll be out in Tucson, Arizona coming up. Uh, also, we'll be, let me see where else we're going to be. We're going to be in Tucson. We are going to be at the University of Vermont. Maybe Bernie Sanders can come out of one of his three mansions and visit us there. Hopefully he will. Uh, that would be fun. University of Vermont is coming up. We've got several other universities, I think, in Indiana. we got Ohio State coming up in April, several others. Check our website, crossexamine.org. Click on events. You'll see Frank Turek calendar, calendar there. And oh, although the online CIA is sold out, we still have some room in the in-person CIA, which is at the end of July this year in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Go to crossexamine.org, click on events, you'll see CIA there. That's the Cross-Examine Instructor Academy. You want to improve your ability to preach or to teach apologetics and answer questions? Then come to CIA and you can see our entire stellar lineup of instructors you'll learn from right there on our website. All right, friends, look forward to seeing you here next week. God bless.